Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome back to the Overlap Live Fan Debate. We're going to start off with a bit of a quick-fire round. Okay, Ooh. you right, guys? Yeah. All right. Nice and easy. Who will score more goals? Kane or Haaland? It's quick fire. Haaland. Hey, what's going on? Kane. Haaland. Kane. Okay. Any, any, give, me, give me a little bit of a... I'm just more sure of it. I'm more sure that Harry will hit a number. I don't know what Haaland's going to do. He could be 40, but he could be 18, 20, I don't know. Fair play. Uh, who will win more trophies, Liverpool or City? City. City. Okay. Who will finish higher, Spurs or Arsenal? Spurs. Spurs. <laughs> Wait, <Disgusting. laughs> where will where will United finish? Top four or top six? Top six. Top one. I'm going to put them as my fourth team, but the oh. <laughs> you, you watching? You love making outrageous comments. No, I, every year this I, happens. I always have to have United fourth, but United fourth. Pogba Player of the Year. <laughs> <laughs> I do think they'll finish. I do think they'll finish fifth or sixth. Uh, who will finish higher, Gerard or Lampard? Gerard. Gerard. That was quick. Who will score more goals, Sterling or Jesus? Jesus. Jesus. Will Newcastle qualify for Europe, yes or no? No. 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 Who will finish higher, Palace or Brighton? Ooh. Brighton. It's the slowest quick fire round ever. <laughs> No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brighton can do that. I'm going to go Palace. Okay, interesting. Uh, highest placed Midlands team: Villa, Leicester, Forest, or Wolves? Wolves. Leicester. Who will stay I'm, up? I'm a, Wolves. I'm a, I don't know why. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit worried about Leicester. No, they haven't bought anyone, but I still. But they could people, lose. They could lose no, they got a lot of well. criticism last season. But they, they could lose. Yeah, but they could lose players as yeah, well. Yeah, they might do, but they still finished eighth last season. People forget that. Uh, Not me. Who will stay up, if any? Forest, Fulham, or Bournemouth? Forest. Well, Fulham. Bournemouth, I don't think. Forest, no. I think Fulham. Wow. Don't know why I'm saying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. We, we, we've spoken on Forest a little bit. I mean, you, it's been a bit of a for all with the Jesse Lingard signing. You just said that you don't believe that they'll stay up. You answered quite quickly. It was probably the quickest answer that you gave. Why I just think that? generally, though, I, I mean, all three could go down. We're getting to a point now whereby the parachute clubs are coming up and the ones that come up or go down. It's getting more predictable every single year. So where you have this sort of like... I know the Premier League try and tell you a different story, but over the last few years now, the chance, it used to be like one in three. It's now like gone a lot higher, the chances of going back down or going up again if you're a parachute club. It's a monumental economic advantage to be in the Championship have those parachute payments. And if you come up... Most clubs now are not going for it to a point whereby if they go back down, that massive, big sort of huge amount of money you have to pay, they're not willing to pay it anymore. There's very few clubs that gamble as much as they used to be. So I just think that all three could go down. Um, 
Forest not been in there for a long time. Do you know, it's, I always think when a club comes up from the Championship, it's an event to win a Premier League game. It's actual an event. You'll see that Brentford last year. Every time they won a game, it's like a monumental occasion because it's like relief. And it's, it's been like that for Burnley for the last I don't know, seven or eight years until they obviously went down. Every time they won a game, it's like an unbelievable feeling. And I, I just think it's getting harder and harder. Um, the, the Lingard thing on the, was just a one year. Yeah. It was the sort of cold... It, it was almost like he was telling everybody, I don't think these will stay up. That was what, that's how I read it. Maybe it was wrong, but I read it as being a bit of a cold... You commit to a club for at least two years, don't you, ordinarily? Unless you're like a you know, really experienced player you're doing the last year at a club. But to me, it just said, like, you know, these aren't going to be in the league next year. I'm just going to go and play here one year in the Premier League, then I'm going to go and play somewhere else. That's, it felt a little bit clinical to me. That's why I think it got the criticism that it did. I think people missed the point around the other stuff. Yeah. But why do you think it was? On a positive why, why do you think it was? Well, he signed a year. You know, why do you think it was that he, he got the criticism it did that signing? Because he, he went there, for, obviously, for the money. I mean, you wouldn't... Uh... I, I love Nottingham Forest, the fact that the back, it's a little bit like sort of when Leeds came up, you, you go back to when you were a kid and, and big games and, and teams who you feel. No one has a divine right to be in the top division, whether it was the first division or the Premier League, but the, there's clubs who you just you love to see in there. Leeds was one a few years ago. I think Nottingham Forest is another right now. But if, if any footballer is picking Nottingham Forest right now before West Ham and what they've done in the last two or three, he's obviously gone there to, for a few quid and the fact he's only signed for a year means he's in the same position next year on, on a free, on a, on a Bosman. There could be something and yeah, the, the, there's a good chance uh, Forrest could go down, but it puts Jesse Lingard in a great position again next year to be on a free transfer if he gets eight to ten goals for them. But I mean, if, if West Ham want you right now, I, I, I can't believe he never went to West Ham. Oh, it's brilliant for Forrest, of course. Yeah, bring back some positivity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I get the criticism, but I, I, I would see no fault in what Forrest has done, even if they're gambling and paying a little boy, what you said about them. You know, some, most clubs you don't necessarily, like Norwich last season, where they just weren't interested, it seemed like they weren't interested in staying in the league. Whereas that sign of Lingard, to me, that Forrest were serious about staying up this year. It just felt, very, I, I look, at the end of the day, it's a business, but it just felt really transactional. And football fans, when it comes down to it later on in the year, if Jesse's starting to be linked four or five months in, getting to Christmas, if they're near the bottom, where he's going to go next year, it won't end well like that. Honestly, football fans don't like transactional stuff like that. They're happy to play the game and get a player at the end of his contract, but when, you know, they could have shaped it in a different way. Two years... And if, you go, if we go down, a little clause in the contract yeah, but, 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 says, what, he, what, says he can leave on a free. Yeah, but what no, can they, you do then? Not, if Jesse, it's down to Jesse Lee. I know, I'm but, not but, even Je, but even Jesse could have been, could been clever. They, they, I, I just, he's been very clever. I just, no, I just thought that they could have... No, he's not been very clever because reputationally he's taken a hit. What he could have done was sign a two-year deal where he leaves at the end of the year to go down for free. He's got a clause in his contract. No one needs to know about that clause and it's just smart. Why expose yourself to the fact that it looks really cold and ruthless and... Yeah, he looks like a little bit money hungry. So, and he's turned down West Ham. He could have just said, "What two-year deal? Break it after year one if we go down." I personally think that that would have been some. Oh, this will not be good mm. either publicly with the media or it won't go well with the fans if after six months he started to talk about some or his agent. Let's, let's or... keep let's keep it positive. Go, Chris. Chris. <laughs> let's keep it positive. We start. No, just we're being negative. We're not being negative. We're not being negative. We're just saying why wouldn't why wouldn't both of them deal with it a little bit better? I agree that we could. We could have dealt with it better. When I when he was first linked with us, I was thinking Jesse Lingard on a three four year deal. It's coming 29, 30 in Christmas. Not sure, but then a year deal. I was quite happy with that because we'll see how it goes. It doesn't tie us into 10, 20, 30 million. 
the transfer. We'll, we'll see how he goes. I think I've heard Stuart Pearce talk about him before. Great character, perfect to train with. And I think the way Steve Cooper's been talking about him in training, I think if we can get him back to that West Ham form, absolutely amazing signing for a year. And we'll see, see where it goes. The thing, I, I'm not sure he feels like we're definitely going to go down because would he sign for us in a, if he thinks we're going to go down? Would, it, would he really be putting himself in that shop window if he did feel that we were going to go down? I don't feel like... No, I, 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 to be honest, look, whichever way you look at it, it just looks like he's coming for that one year and it's, I'm off again. He may stay for another year. Mm. I just think it could have been, I think it could have been played out better. Look, Jesse, to be fair, I agree with what you've said. No one's ever questioned his work ethic. His, his performance levels, he's always overperformed. He had pressure put on him a few years ago when people probably thought that he needed to be Ronaldo or something. But he's quite obviously not that type of player. But England managers have liked him. Manchester United managers have liked him. Jose Mourinho liked him. You know, he's won trophies for United and played in big games really well. He doesn't owe Manchester United anything. I'm not saying this from a bit of Manchester United point of view. He owes Manchester United nothing, that lad. He's done well for the club. But I just think in terms of how we portray yourself and how you're viewed in football, you can make moves in life that sometimes mean that you're portrayed in a way which won't help you in your future life after football. And I think this is one of them that you might look back upon and think, Wish I hadn't done that. I'm not saying it's irrecoverable. It exists in today's game. I no, feel I, like that's, that's almost no, like you, a, you look, a nostalgic you, you, view. You, you, no, you're building, you're, you're building your character and your personality and your profile for life. You're 30 years retired after football, and this will not be viewed well if it goes wrong. If it goes well and, West, and Forrest stay up and he has a great season, no problems. But there is a chance that this could go badly wrong. And I think he's exposed himself just to a little bit of mercenary-type shouts because of the one year. There was rumours it was a year and then, if it all goes well, we've got the option of another year. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't, I'm not sure. But that, that should just be... A, that, again, that, that should be... It could be, like it you could say, two-year deal. Better then. Yeah. Communicate nobody, nobody, nobody it. Knows. Well, hopefully it's, it's two years. You know, hopefully, hopefully you be, stay up. Hopefully, yeah. How nice is it to be back in the Premier League? It, oh, it's it was such a big club, such rich <clears> history. Yeah, well... We keep going on about history and everyone's getting a bit bored of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can barely remember the last time we were in the Premier League. Don't know if you two were playing at the time. We were actually in the Premier League before. Um, but yeah, it's, it's great to be back and uh, hopefully it's not a short, short period. We've chucked a lot of money at it, um, which we needed to do. They're the one team, and not being disrespectful to the others, but Fulham and Bournemouth have been in the Premier League We're waiting a long time for nothing for it to come back. And I think that's, if you said to me if there was one team I'd love to stay up, it would be them. Uh, know the, the manager really well. He, he started as a young coach at Liverpool, coached my son and, and under 10s or something. You know the journey that he's been on and the, the job he did last season. And I didn't watch them every week last season. I don't know everything about them. Really looking forward to seeing them. But watch, you know, he's against Liverpool in the FA Cup and... Liverpool went on to win the FA Cup, but if, probably the toughest game they had was away at Forest, where they probably should have gone out. Yeah, well, you think of the chance that they, you missed, I think, when it was at 0-0, and then yeah. Liverpool went up the other end and scored. So I, I, I don't think Forest are going to be a team who sort of sit back and say we're a small team. I think they're going to try and play like, like a big team. They're going to be on, in people's faces. And... Yeah, I think, I think our style of play definitely suits staying in the league over maybe Fulham or Bournemouth. will play in transition really good. Got a lot of pace up front, Brennan Johnson. So I think that gives us a, that chance. We've had to buy 11, 12 new players. Is that a Woody? Can, yeah. It is, yeah. I think, I don't know if you've been in teams where you've had to buy that many have come in and can we get them to gel quickly? So that is, that's probably the only worry. I think Steve Cooper's brilliant that, man manager. That he can, if he can get that them is, to gel, I think he could. I think, I think cool talking to coaches, they, those 
three coaches that have come up very important. Scott Parker, another one who's... They have anything to prove now, because it is that time they've been up, they've been there. Forest have to sign 11 players because their contribution last year in the Championship was six million quid, whereas Fulham Bournemouth was 40, 45 million quid. That's 40 million difference. We had five players on loan last season that played a key well, so, part. So if you're, a, if you're a club that's been you know, embedded in the Championship for many, many years, the maximum you can get is five, six million quid. The clubs that come down from the Premier League get 40 million quid. You've got a massive problem. And if you go up, you're not expecting to go up. You can't. So you've got to change your whole squad almost because yeah. that is a Championship squad that's outperformed. They're left with no option but to do that. That's what makes it a little bit more difficult for you in the early parts of the season, I think. Yeah. With the gaffers, do... A lot of these managers have kind of been up and down. They've got a lot, they've got a lot to prove. How important is it that this is the season where it sticks and then they really make changes and, and long-lasting changes? So they're not yo-yo. But I think the manager in Michael Silva, I actually, when he first came to the country, I think he came to Hull and he almost kept Hull up. Uh, and then on on the back of that, I think he went to Watford, made a decent start, went to Everton. I always thought he was someone. I thought. That's a good appointment for Everton and a sort of an Everton type of manager and that, you know, young, hungry, got something to prove. But Everton, you know, we'll get on to Everton, but sort of one of those clubs that just go through managers. You have different types of managers and it's a difficult club to succeed at. But I think he's got something about him. Uh, I do. I think Fulham would be a lot more competitive than they were last time. Uh, and that was actually under Scott Parker. But you've actually spoke to me about Scott Parker for years now and that he's always been someone who's been really highly thought of as young English players coming out of the game who've gone on the coaching courses and, and how they're seeing and, and, and where people think they'll go. Uh, and I think the experience of being in the Premier League, then bringing another club up, which is, is not easy, you know, a different club. So, yes, they've all got something to prove, but I think all three of those managers coming up shouldn't be, you know, completely overawed by the Premier League. You know, two of them have been there before and the job Steve Cooper did last year, what he's done with the England youth teams as well, what he's done at Swansea. I think they can more than hold their own. I think he'll get a good job above, I say, where he's at at the moment, but I think he's becoming a very experienced manager very early in his career with the relegations and promotions that he's had, Scott Parker, along with the fact that he is highly thought of. I mean, the, the, the information that... Um, I was on my pro licence finishing it off five, six years ago. Seems like a long time ago I was a coach. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and But Scott Parker was probably one of the most outstanding candidates that I think any of us had seen for... Me, like the, 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 the English FA had seen for many, many years... And I was on that course and was massively impressed with him and thought, you know, obviously you see players that you've played with, played with Scott, been a coach of Scott with England. And um, he's definitely got massive talent as a coach. And he's, but he's now becoming more hardened as well, yeah. which means that he's, I think he's going to have a really good career in the game. Obviously, Cooper will have a great career in the game. He's, he's, he's a brilliant coach as well. So we have got some really talented young coaches coming through. So Marco Silva's different. That's the young coach, he's a, a more experienced coach, a more experienced manager, David Moyes. Can he help West Ham break that top six? Can they really push on this season? It's tough. No. I mean, West Ham have had two of the best seasons they, they, they can have and it's, it's still difficult to, to, to get in there. You're talking about top six, but they've done that before. And can one of the top six not be at the best and have a, like a, a really poor season? Of course they can, and it, it's happened in the past. And West Ham are the team right now who you look at as that team who can make that jump. They've bought a sort of strike in, in now that they've been sort of crying out for for the last couple of years. Uh, the centre-back they've bought, I think, is a really good player. Uh, from what I saw in the, I think it was the African Nations Cup, and he, he seems highly thought of. I think he's injured start of the season. But no, I, I think West Ham, and that's why I was probably critical of Lingard, not against Forrest, but I, I just think West Ham, if outside the top six, is almost the, the team to be at right now. When you're playing against them or you're going away to West Ham, you're thinking, any of the top six are thinking, 
it's going to be a tough game, this. We, we, we need we need that. Look, it always used to be the top five, didn't it, 30, 40 years ago. Then it got disrupted by the new money of, say, Blackburn initially, then obviously Chelsea and City. But it does it is getting quite set again, that top six. We do need, you know, you'd have thought Everton, with the money they've spent in the last few years, you know, I would want that top six disrupted. We need Everton, Newcastle, with the money that they're going to throw at this. We need that top six to be disrupted. It's good for the league. Good for the competitiveness. It's good that they don't get the power base set so that they then think that they take all the Champions League money every single year. And then that gap doesn't just become between Premier League and Championship. It becomes between top six and 14. We need that blend right the way through. West Ham, with the owners they've got, David Moyes is achieving the absolute height. So coming back to your question, no, they can't do it. Everton, if they get themselves sorted, but it's miles away from that at this moment in time, Newcastle, they can in the next few years. If somehow they start spending all those hundreds of millions that they've been spending, spend it well, then who knows? It's, it's not about... We all, I know we say the top six, and I know that frustrates a lot of supporters in here and people on TV when we say it, but it's not in terms of just breaking into the top six. It's, it's making it a top seven, making it a top eight, where it's actually those teams are competing. And yet you break in, but it's not we break in for one season and we go back to the yeah. top six. It's, can those teams actually join the top six and be really competitive with them? Can, 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 you, can Newcastle join the top six? Um, How far away are they? How many seasons will it take? Because the, end, the, the form at the end of last season was impeccable. Yeah, it was. Um, obviously, we gave everyone a 14-game head start, didn't win 14 games. Um, I think it still will be a long time because on top of us improving... City's still spending money, Liverpool's still spending money, obviously Chelsea have got a new owner, Spurs have spent decent money, so I do still think that we're quite a, a significant way off consistently being in a top seven, top eight. Um, obviously this season's going to be a massive telling of what the owners want to do and what Eddie Howe's got to do, his calibre of management, um, this season's going to be very telling. Um, and I know obviously the owners have said they want to win a league within five to ten years. I think it'll be 10. <laughs> it would definitely be 10. Um, but they have obviously aspirations to do so. They have ambitions. So, yeah, why not? I, I think it would be really tough. I know what you're saying. Uh, even in 10 years, I just think you talk about the, the other big clubs and, and trying to attract players. And I, I just think on the, on the back of last season, how well it finished, has mm. there almost been a, you know, that excitement of who you're going to sign? Has that sort of just died off a little bit now and that realisation that it is very tough to get players, you know, whether it's to do with the financial fair play or players up to Newcastle? Yeah, definitely. We've just seen, with obviously, with Ekatike, he was a target for us in January, didn't get that out of the, out of the way and he's now gone to PSG. You're a young French kid, you're going to want to join PSG the way it is, no matter how much game time you're going to get. So we've already seen that this window. Obviously, we signed Botman in midst of AC Milan interest because we could offer that little bit of more money, apparently, if you want to believe the media. Um, but yeah, I think it's definitely 100% it's hard to attract players, especially if you don't have European football, because a lot of players of the calibre that we are probably expecting, <clears throat> or as a club want, they're going to want European football, which we can't offer. What, what was your feeling on Madison, going for Madison? Because, I mean, I think he's a really good player, but he's probably not a player to any of the clubs that you're thinking about competing in the future. Mm. But do you think right now spending 50, 60 million on him is the right thing to do? I think yes, just because we were so close to the start of the season. Now, obviously, I know the window's a little, got a month to go, um, but it's a player that we would never have in the past been able to attract or even consider spending £50 million on. Um, so I think it's a, it's a really good signing. Obviously, there was other players that they kind of wanted in terms of like younger players from abroad, like um, Diaby and things like that. But yeah, I think it's a, it's a step in the right direction. Obviously, Arsenal were quite interested in him for a long time. Um, and Leicester is kind of probably where we need to look at approaching and, and targeting in terms of teams, 
teams like Leicester. So yeah, I think it's a it's a decent sign. I think you, I think Newcastle have looked at maybe Everton when an owner's come in, or they've looked at maybe even City in the sort of you know, you, you know Sam Rabino I think was the first signing under um, Sheikh Mansour and thought that never really works. That yeah, doesn't really work that. So actually, to try and bridge to the top in a more sort of like cautious manner and a more conservative manner with Eddie Howe, signing players that build respectability in football so they don't look like they're at to just throwing money left, right and centre. Well, I think it's definitely the best way to do it. I mean, I think that I'm definitely, I mean, I think Chelsea, you look at their first window as well, but I wanted to get on to Everton because you talk about spending money and, and not necessarily getting the results. It wasn't that long ago that we're talking about Everton breaking into the top six, then, you know, really kicking on and, and pushing forward. What's happened? <laughs> Where'd you start? <laughs> Where'd you start? Because Everton, when Everton were taking over in 2016, I still can't believe our owner didn't change the... You know, we were talking about Chelsea before and saying he changed... You know, got rid of everybody. You thought people would have left them in place. Well, ours has left the same people in place for six years. And that's, for me, has been what, what the problem was. Everton done nothing of... We didn't quite go for a Rubino. But what we did was we threw money at players that... We're 27 and 20, without any real thought process. I think we tried to jump six days instead of just going one at a time. And I think we've seen with, on a lower scale, but teams like Brentford, the way they've done stuff. Liverpool have done it brilliantly. Liverpool were trying to catch Man City, who were a powerhouse, and Liverpool have recruited brilliantly and reinvested and spent it. And Newcastle hope, well, for their, not for our sake, but for their sake, if they do it that way. We just did it all wrong. So we've spent money in the wrong areas, on the wrong players, and paid people wages that they should never have ever been on at our football club. And no one was really the adult in the room and went, we can't pay you 220 grand a week what we were paying Amos Rodriguez. Because it, it, we're not a Champions League club, as good as a footballer as he is. So I think what we're seeing now is we're seeing the reversal of it. We're trying to get it back the other way. Well, Baz, what, what's you, you thinking this season? Obviously, we know what happened last season. Yeah, yeah. Richarlison's gone, who's you know your best player. Mm. I mean, will he get what, some credit from you this season? Now he's not never. Yeah, played. he might do. Really <laughs> yeah. I thought well, so. you don't have to be biased now, because you, you know. What's the? What is there a fear amongst Evertonians right now in terms of you could be involved in that again? Not from me personally. Obviously, I don't speak for all Evertonians, but not from what I've seen. I think everybody's fully behind Frank Lampard. Everyone's, you know. If you look at the, I don't, there's a narrative going round of like Lampard's not a very good coach. I don't know where it's come from. There's yeah. a, it keeps getting compared with Gerard and when he's, he's actually won more games than Gerard did when he came in, but that's a different story. So I don't understand where that's come from, but from a, from around the club, everybody's fully behind Frank Lampard. I think people are, yeah, that's you, say, you say that everyone, if you're behind. No, no, I'm saying, saying people are a little, there will be people who are concerned that the Charleston has gone. And who do you replace him with? Of course, we've brought Dwight McNeil last week. He's not a direct replacement for a Charleston, good footballer. So Everton is still in the market for a forward player. Like we, we spoke about Emmanuel Dennis before, didn't we, off camera? Brose is another one who they're interested in. But the big thing for Everton this season will be keeping Dominic Calvert-Lewin fit. If he's fit for the season, he'll get, he gets fit. He missed, he missed a lot of goals. important games, but I you spoke games. about Frank Lampard and getting compared to Gerard, and is he a good manager or not? Skybet fan hopes have a he's, he's the most likely manager to be sacked first. So 22%. Do you agree with that? Are, are you talking about Everton fans are all behind him, or the ones that you know are largely behind him? Is it other fans that maybe don't understand, you know, what, what he's trying to do? Because he was started off and he was trying to be Pep, 
and then it kind of became more Jose Mourinho style of football. What do you expect to see, and what one can work? Can you can you play that nice tiki tiki taka football with the players that you got? No. It's the simple one for that, but I think if you're a manager and you've got ideas, Gary will know this and, and Gary will know it as an owner because he's changing managers. But if you have an idea where you go in to a football club and you want to play a certain way, should Frank have been playing out from the back? No, he, he could have phoned any Everton and he would have said when he come in, we can't play that way, mate. So I think you've got to give him credit for realising that. These players couldn't do that early on. He changed it. He got the, he kept Everton up despite people saying... We'd go down if the other <coughs> fellow, you know, we should have kept the other fellow who had won one game in about seven years or whatever it was. So I think for us, we, we have to play a hybrid, I think, of both. There's nothing wrong with trying to pass the ball when you've got it. But if it's not on, we've got the best, probably the best head of the ball in the Premier League. So knock it to him and let him win it. So I think he, he, he did change. I don't think he's changed all his values. But he has changed or took the edges off some of them. I, I think. I think. He'll the, try to improve. The, the best thing that Everton have got right now is the fans are behind the manager. Yeah. And I, and we all know at, at different times with clubs when the fans are not really with the manager, that's when big problems can can start. And I think the fact that they believe in Frank in that he's really good in front of the camera, speaks well, speaks how Evertonians want to hear their manager speak, basically. Uh, and people also about getting the club, but a lot of that is how you come across in press conferences. And I think it was it was. What you said there, there has got to be a mix of how you play at Everton. I've always felt that if you're an Everton manager, you've got to use Goodison. It's a tight pitch, it's aggressive, you know, the supporters are right on top of you. The thing that you got going last season of the supporters, uh, you know, sort of greeting the coach, you can't do that every week. But it, it could be there five or six times a season yeah. in really big games and build this rapport between sort of, you know, uh, the supporters and the team. Now, they've got it with the manager, they haven't quite, well, they haven't got it with the team because, I mean, I mean, it's being shambles on that, on that basically page. on the pitch, hasn't it? But that is the, the one thing that they have right now that is almost keeping them together, I think, is the manager. But you say that, I just, I hope Frank does really well at Everton. I hope, I hope that Everton have a good season. But that support comes from that really sort of like desperate finish to the season where everyone just had to come together and you bonded yeah. and you bonded. Can they maintain? Is that is that support embedded? through difficult moments. Let's say Everton won two in the first ten. Is that support Frank Lampard embedded to the point whereby whatever happens, you know, or if he has a bad run at the start of the season, will that support just fade straight away and it almost be like, you know, skin deep type stuff? It's difficult to say, isn't it? Because it, 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 so from you, from you, like, you know from me personally, I want him to do well. I'm behind him. We, we, we had a manager we didn't really want last year and I sat here a year ago and said, yes. we'll get behind them if we can. The fellow won one in 14 and that was why that turned. Frank probably got a kick from that because he's coming after the fella before who no one wants it. But they stayed with him. There is actually a greet the bus and all that this weekend for the team against Chelsea. So the atmosphere will be ready again to go the weekend. Difficult because football fans are fickle like that, aren't they? You know, greet the bus. Well, it is, it is, it is. The, it's the welcome. It? Listen, mate, do whatever you can to win games. You didn't have to sit with me for three months last year when we won one game of football. So I think what you do is you have to use yeah. whatever you've got to help. Yeah. I mean, we've seen Liverpool do it and, uh, you know, big games and yeah. it'd be City and stuff like that. And Champions League games. Cha yeah. <laughs> that tournament that we, yeah. we don't take part in. Um, from, and you have got to use I, everything you can. I appreciate that. We've got to talk about one team that also had a bit of a hectic season uh, and, a, and a horrible finish to the season. Leeds, what can we expect? Is it all going to come together this season? You can't, surely, you two, you can't do it again, can you? No, hopefully not, but it's definitely going to be a transitional season, I think. They're back Jesse Marsh, which has been a positive. 
brought in a lot of his style of players. But I think it's going to be a season of learning for Leeds. But it's almost like it's a similar thing to Frank Lampard, really. They can't go two wins out of ten. Leeds have, Leeds have got a really good start to the season, a really positive start to the season. So we really have to start picking up wins. Um, the Marcelo Biel sacking was massive, um, but the board did it. They backed him. And yeah, it's just where we're at right now. So... Yeah, I think we're all positive. We've definitely built on the foundations of the squad. We've lost Rafinha, we've lost Phillips. Massive. Two best players, man. Massive. Phillips is, uh, Rafinha's huge. I'm not sure Phillips was working in this new system. It's a very different system, but Rafinha was huge. So replacing that is going to be massive. But I think overall, building the foundation in and around the club, which we have done, you know, we strengthen the bench, strengthen the, mid the midfield overall, the back line's better. I think that's going to put Leeds in a better stead than where we were last season, definitely. Don't forget, we both lost that centre-forward. Yeah. We got the goals. Bamford, Bamford played four games, four full games last season, so that's absolutely massive. Dan James played the majority of the season up front, so having Bamford's going to be massive, so yeah. Can he, can he stay fit? That's, 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 that's a big it, question. Yeah, that's it. We hope. Now, got to take a turn. Give us your uh, relegation predictions, Ooh. who's going down. I can give you some uh, fan hope survey. Be, this, is what the, this is what the people are saying. Bournemouth, 52% agree that they'll appear in the bottom three. Fulham, 46%. Forest, 44%. Brentford, 35%. Leeds, 31%. Uh, Wolves, 18%. I think you said they were going to be in the top four at the beginning of the show. No, I didn't. I said they finish above the other midlands. <laughs> <laughs> give, us, give, give, give us your bottom three. I, I, I'm, I, I would agree with that, the bottom three that you've just said there, but I do think also those two above Brentford and Leeds are the two that could sink into it. I think Bournemouth, I think Brentford could have a problem. Uh, I think they had a run the end of the uh, second half of last season, they went, I think it was 10 or 12 games without winning. That yeah. can happen when you come up. And I think Ericsson coming in just changed that. And I just, I, I hope I'm wrong because I've loved them in the Premier League, but I just, that Sheffield United thing just keeps coming into my head with, with sort of Brentford. So Bournemouth, Brentford, I've said I want Forrest to stay up, and I think in terms of Marco Silva, I think he'll make it difficult for teams. I'll... I'm going to go with the three that came up going straight back down. No, no. Okay. There's always one who stays up. I'll, I'll go with Fulham going down. I'm saying yeah, that, just sound the arse of goal. The reason, <laughs> the reason I say that is the three going down is because I think, I think that's where they get the... the the inequity in terms mm. of sort of... The inequality, sorry, in terms of the actual money is pushing it more that way all the time. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to go, even though I don't want them to go down, I think, uh, I think Fulham might stay up and I think it'll be Forrest, Bournemouth and Brentford. Interesting. Forrest, Bournemouth and Forrest. Forrest, Bournemouth and Fulham. <laughs> Forrest, Bournemouth <laughs> and Fulham. <laughs> going down twice. <laughs> Jesse, get a bonus for that. <laughs> right, we asked uh, the audience to send in a few questions, so uh, I'm going uh, to crack on with these now. George uh, Parker-Perrett said, what do you make of Villa signing this summer uh, and how far do you think Gerard can take them? Um, getting Coutinho over the line is important. Gerard knows him. I, Justin, there was a period for last season where I thought, watching Villa, I liked the way they were set up. I liked the style of play. I thought he was having some real impact on them. He has lost his coach, Annie, I think, yeah. which has been with him. I think that could be an impact. Um, a little bit worried about that they won't go down, but I don't think it'll be a brilliant season. I felt there was a bit of frustration in Stevie towards the end of last season that he wasn't quite getting what he wanted from them. I don't, you know him a lot better than I do. I think they'll be looking for a top top half finish. I think it's been a long time since they've. Uh, do you think they'll do that? Finished though? on the top half. I think they finished top ten. I think Villa could. I think they'll be there or thereabouts. I don't see them really threatening. 
European places. But the job for Stevie is almost to do what Brendan Rodgers has done at Leicester yeah. a little bit over the next sort of two or three years. Can they get or what David Moyes has done at West Ham? I always think Villa, West Ham, Everton, those type of clubs were probably not classed as the, the top four or the top six, but should always be pushing. They're kind of relevant in the European conversation. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's where Aston Villa need to be. They've won, they won the European Cup in the history. They need to be sort of knocking on the door of Europa League. I don't think it'll be this season, uh, but I think steady mid-table team. Interesting. I've got a really interesting question from Adam Maxwell. He says, is there something endemically wrong in the game if Derby County can nearly cease to exist with debts amassing 40 million, yet Barcelona could continue to operate without penalty with debts over a billion pounds? Should more be done? I'm going to come straight to you because I know this is, this, this is one that you mouth's watering to answer. No, I, I, the Barcelona situation is just, I mean, to feather battery with the fans at the moment, um, Barcelona. Um, but I find it unpalatable that they all players who are at the club, tens and tens of millions in wages. And they spent 155 million. The wages they're paying to Kundi, Lewandowski, Rafinha are off the scale. They're selling for all the TV rights, so they can do all these things. But they are bullying De Jong. You know, I, I don't care whether he comes to United or not. I genuinely don't. I want him to because I think he's a good player. But, you know, for me, if he doesn't come, no problem. We go with what we've got. But the idea that I think he was paid three million euros last season. He's think, owed like fourteen point seven. I think he's owed. I think he's owed seventeen million. So I think he's deferred wages for two years. I think he, he was paid three million euros last season. I think, and I think this season his wage is twenty, making up for the previous two years. His, his wage the season after something like thirty. He's owed a fortune by the club. So what they're trying to do at the point where they've, they've deferred his wages, he's helped the club. Well done to him. You know, it was COVID. Every club was struggling. So he's obviously shown that he's a. You know, he's a good team player. At the point whereby he goes into his big wages to get it paid back, they basically want to try and sell him or they're willing to sell him and probably do are pushing him out the door. But they're saying to him, you won't get that deferred wages, but they're taking a 70 million fee or a 55 million fee or whatever it is off United. That's just wrong. That's just wrong. And then you're going to spend your money on Lewandowski at the same time. Yeah. So that's why I've spoken up in the last few weeks. Not I mean, it's highlighted it's because it's a big high-profile signing that's coming to United, which makes it more interesting for me. So I'm paying more attention to it anyway. But I love Barcelona as a football club. It's unbelievable. So it's not against Barcelona. I just think what they're doing at the moment for me. And they, you know, they might not have broken a rule yet, but morally they've broken the rule. They've broken the rule because they've suggested to the player, if you leave, we won't pay you that money. You need to take you know, the wages that he's been paid for the last two, three years. They're, they're championship wages. Yeah. They're championship wages he's been paid for the last year or two. So I, I, I'm not having that. I'm not having that. Derby's another situation where the, the, the owners siphoned off the ground away from the club. That is a structural failing in English football, which, to be fair... I think they closed that loophole, didn't they? Yeah, but it needs dealing with... Yeah, it's been dealt with now, but it should have been dealt with when Berry was siphoned off from, their own, from the, from the uh, owners years ago. So it's happened again. So, you know, that's the sort of thing that really causes problems for fans when the, when the, when the ground isn't attached to the actual club that's left. So uh, football... They've got a big problem abroad at the moment with money. Huge problems. And that, I say, don't say take pleasure in that, but they're then desperate, which means then that they do things which are like things like Super League, things like not paying players and saying you've got to leave without your money. That's when the game's in a real state, but still at the same time, demonstrating massive greed and ambition through signing 150 quid for a player. It's wrong. I mean, for all the Glazer family faults and the fact that I want them to leave Manchester United, right, they've not done that that I can see. You know what I mean? They're not doing that. The club, but to be fair, they'll sell it 
and it's worth more than they've got the debt on it. It's worth more than they've paid for it. Barcelona in £1.4 billion worth of debt. Wow. Wow. Absolutely wild. Now, Jamie, this one's for you. Uh, Nathan Evans has said, should referees have to take post-match interviews? I, I was actually on a call yesterday. Uh, we have this before the start of every season. Where Did you go on that? You're a good I boy, aren't you? Yeah. You're a good boy, yeah. aren't you? Yeah. The referees called Jamie Carragher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it was about the Premier League and the changes and different rules or different protocols for the season. And they spoke about that, about... Uh, and they, they let you listen into. Uh, the VAR official speaking to the referee and all these different things. And they spoke about referees coming out after the game and that was a, it was a big no-no. Martin Atkinson was actually the spokesperson on the... What was the reasons for the they... uh, It wasn't just... I don't think it's just a Premier League thing. I think it's referees in general, you know, around the Europe or the world, whatever it, it may be. And, you know, maybe too emotional after a game, uh, you say something or, or whatever it may be. They asked players to do it. I... Yeah, they do, but listen, I mean, you know, basically, we want to come out and, 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 and say to a referee, why did you do that against Arsenal? Yeah, yeah. Why did you, yeah. you, you know, I, I, I don't I mean, think I don't I, think referees now should do interviews after the I'm game. Maybe in the bothered. past, I thought, pardon? I'm not that bothered. No, I, what I do think we should do is open up VAR and open up yeah. potentially comms on the pitch so that the referees, when they're speaking to VAR, that communication on the decision so you know what's happening, should, but, that should come in. But we can hear that. So we when we, we when do hear that. Yeah, we, when yeah. we're commentating... And <laughs> so we look really clever and say, yeah. I think he's offside. Yeah. <laughs> we, we know he's offside. <laughs> the, the I think one, he might just be off, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the one thing I, I mean, I, I don't like about it when, when I hear it, I think there was talk in the papers and it came up on the call yesterday that they might be opening that up to, you know, if you're watching, you know, the game on Sky, you might be able to hear them. Yeah. And people use that, but... And see one, them as well, why Yeah, not? yeah. But the, the one thing I, I don't quite get is... And, when when an official is sent over to the monitor, we have the, we all have this feeling, don't we, that the referee's going to have a look at himself now. But what actually happens is the VAR official, when he's going over, is telling him why the decision should be overturned. Yeah, he talks him through it. So the talk comes him through before he gets to the screen. Now that may be, well, because I've argued about that and thinking, why are you putting something in his head? So he's already going over it, thinking, okay, that this has happened basically, and it's already in his head that he needs to change his decision. And I'm thinking, why can't he just go, don't say nothing to him, let him have a look and make his own decision. Now, they've argued they're doing that for time, so he's almost up to speed with why they've sent him over there. But I hope it's just planting a seed in his head for me about why he has to change the decision. And that's why every time an official goes to the, the monitor, you know the decision's going to be changed. But, but, but that's something I'm not... Because I, I, we can hear it, but, I, I don't like it. But the communication we hear... It's really good. It is really good, though. Yeah, it, yeah. It, when you listen, and that's why you want it to. Want, yeah, when you, you listen, when you listen decisions. to, when you're listening yeah. to it. We're, so we're, we've got a screen. We've got two screens or three screens. We've got basically two screens, which is what we've got the game on, which has got the replays on, which we obviously we need to see. And then in the middle, we've got the VAR screen. So we're seeing all the replays going through, all the various different replays that Stockley Park are asking for. And then what I'll do, the the, um, the Stockley Park official will say to the referee, you know. I'm looking at this, I'm, he'll be talking to him, talking through it, saying, look, I've got something here, I think. And he'll move him through it and say, you know, stop the game, blow your whistle. And, and he'll be talking him through it all the way, come and have a look at it. And you, I just think, for me, we're part of it, so we take it for granted that we hear this. Whereas the fans I don't think there's anything that I hear that fans wouldn't, to be fair, think, 
they're quite professional, they're quite good at what they do. Rather you know? than they haven't got a clue. And also, you're hearing the reasoning behind them being called to the screen. So, I think my view would be, forget the small post-match interviews, because to be fair, we're just going to be asking them difficult questions and putting them under pressure. Actually, more open up, Yeah, we'd know what had happened at the time in the VAR stuff if actually we just opened the comms up and the mics up to the people at home, which I don't think there's a problem with. Interesting. Right, last question from me. I'm going to put you on the spot to wrap it all up. Give me your top four and your champions. Jamie, I'll start with you. Uh, I mean, I'm going to go for Liverpool. I'll go just ah, for Liverpool. Just uh, I, I just think, uh, no, I, I think, listen, City be everyone's favourites, but I might, I'm just going to go for Liverpool. The fact that I think if Van Dijk's at his best and they keep it at the best from the start of the season, you know, uh, Man City, Spurs, and I'm, I'm, I'm still going to go for Chelsea just because they always seem to find a way to do it. <laughs> I'm going to go for City. By how many points, Gary? <laughs> Could be 20, you know. <laughs> City, Liverpool, Tottenham, Manchester United. <laughs> I've got no belief when I say that at all. I actually, I'm going to say Manchester United because I always have to put faith in my team. I actually don't think Manchester United will finish fourth. <laughs> Just lip up, your lip up, this is fine. Let's make a mockery of my own prediction. Um, I think it will be... I think could could just be Arsenal. Could, could be Arsenal. That's a wonderful way to finish it. That's all we've got time for. Guy, big round of applause. Informative, middle school kids from New York City public schools interview a phenomenal collection of grown-ups. Me, like, I don't know what I want to do. You don't have to have all the answers. I feel like a lot of people's favorite topics are, like, interest in their life. That is a really good answer. The podcast where the leaders of today are interviewed by leaders of tomorrow. Listen now at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.